The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. Amen. Do you remember, you remember being a kid? Some of you don't have to think back too long. Some of you, I'm not sure if you can remember that back far. Um, do you remember being a kid? I don't supposed to be that pointed or funny, but. Uh, do you remember being a kid and your parents making rules that were absolutely ridiculous? You remember that? Like brushing your teeth twice a day? Like, come on. Like, I could see, like, in the middle of the day, but why would you, you brush your teeth and then you, like, before you go to bed and then you have to sleep all night? I didn't even eat anything. Why do I have to brush my teeth, like, back to back without even eating anything? That's a silly rule, isn't it? What well, is if you're like four, right? <laughs> okay. Or, or how about this one? Like no riding your bike in the street. Stupid restrictive rules on the opp- oppression of my parents, right? You remember feeling that way? I remember uh, even in high school, some of these rules. I remember um, like in high school, um, me and the, my other three siblings we grew up with, like we were, we, we were always engaged in like sports and youth group stuff and like just extra activity. We were engaged in friends, all kinds of stuff. We were so busy in high school. And uh, I, I remember like we'd come to church on Sunday morning and like every, all our friends were there, like all our youth group friends. And we'd always want to go, like you see friends and you always want to go do stuff. And there was a season, it wasn't forever, but there was a season like maybe in my junior, senior year of high school when my mom she, she wouldn't, she never let us go do anything after church on Sunday with our friends. Like, that's so mean, right? Like, I just, right? See, I don't know what yours were, and I could keep on going. There's a whole bunch of them, right? But when we're kids, we see these rules that were made, and in the moment, like, this is so dumb, this is restrict. they don't understand, right? But then you grow up, and you're like, oh, all these fillings are falling out of my teeth now. In fact, the dentist described the, the metal fillings that I have as a slow uh, jackhammer that actually serves over the lifespan of the filling that eventually just creates your, makes your tooth just like shatter. It's happened three times now. Maybe I should have brushed my teeth a little bit more as a kid. Like now, like now I'm going like these oppressive rules seem like they may have been good ideas. Right now that I'm a parent and I know how much the emergency room costs, like, okay, I I get the whole no riding the bike in the street thing, right? Like my parents didn't even trust me to not hit the parked cars, let alone the ones that are moving. Like I get the rules now. And even as I looked up, even as I look back in those teenage years and I'm like, oh, Man, my mom, who always made us in that season of life, we had to come home and eat lunch together after church. Come on, that's so like old-fashioned. Why do we have to do all that? It's because she never saw me the rest of the week. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's because she values family. She actually likes me and wants to, and wants to be with me. And like, so I guess that was maybe not that bad of an idea. And it's interesting how, how now on the back end of it, we get, we get some perspective that like the rules that were made that seemed overbearing at the time. Now, let's be honest. There's some rules that as a parent, I look back on my, 
that was unnecessary. I'm not doing that to my kids, okay? You know, the, and we've all got that, right? I, we look back at our, and there's some of, some of the rules that we had as a kid, we look back on and be like, okay, I didn't really get it at the time, but that makes a lot of sense now, okay? There's some of them that, yeah, give or, give or take. But, but here's the thing. The reason, I, the reason I share that is because there's, there's a passage in, um, there's a passage in, in Galatians, I believe it's Galatians chapter four, where Paul talks about, um, us as slaves to God versus us as sons and daughters to God. And the illustration that he gives is basically when, when if you were to look at the life of the church, we've been talking about the church the last several weeks. If you look at the life of the church, we're talking like from Abraham, when God called Abraham to set him apart, to be uh, the first of this, this people set apart for God, starting back there up until today, right? The, 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 the church has a life. And those early Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph up into Egypt, those the, the infant years of, of the church, if you will. And then Moses comes along and he gives them these rules. He gives them this law. And God makes a covenant with his people and, uh, and he gives them this law, the, the household rules, if you will, on, on how to live out this life as within the family of God. Now, now Paul describes it this one way. He says that like while while Israel was under the old covenant, while they were under the old law, it, our relationship with God was was like one of a slave. Where the the primary uh, basis for the relationship was obedience to the law. If you obey the law, then you're in right standing with God, right? Like that's how the Old Testament law worked. But then once Jesus came, he died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins once and for all, for those who would uh, believe in him, for those who would call the name and give the right to be called sons of God, right? So now we move from slaves to sons. That slave imagery doesn't connect with us maybe exactly where we are as well. So I'm not saying that your children are slaves, <laughs> but I'm saying it, it dawned on me recently that another perspective to look at that is like while, while the church was growing up, in that season of life where, where God gave Moses the law, and he says, this is how you, and it, it's almost as if Israel was a child in the house of their God. And when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he set us free, it's almost like the moment we moved out, okay? And, and what I mean is this, is that now that I'm an adult, my relationship with my parents is no longer obedience to their law. Does that make sense? Now, the Bible says, oh, honor my father and mother. Like, I should always do that. But the way that you honor your father and mother while you're a child in their house is what? Obedience. And if you are a rebellious child and you do not obey exactly what your parents say, it, it puts a damper on that relationship, doesn't it? Um, and so I think it's just a really cool picture to see, and it, well, at least it helps me, to be able to see, like, how do we deal with, as, as children who are now adult children of God, right? We're still his children. Our goal is still to honor him. But the primary relationship with, with God is no longer strictly obedience to a law. But now, but now it is relationship driven. And now it's more about the heart, Right? You know, and, and we, uh, we know this, right? We, we talk all the time about like God knows your heart. He knows what's in our heart. He cares more about the heart. Now, he does care about lifestyle issues, but the primary interaction, the primary way we maintain that relationship is with, is with the heart, right? He, he knows our heart, right? We all, we all, give me a nod, right? Are you tracking with me? I'm not, this is nothing new, right? It's all about the heart. Now, here's the deal. If a relationship is a two-way street, right? We all know this too. 
And God is all about our heart. Have we ever stopped to think, am I all about God's heart? What's interesting is now that we've moved into this new season, and not we as an individual, but we as his collective church, no longer under the, the, the law, no longer as, as children in his house restricted to the exact specific specifications of what he commands in every moment, but rather we, we are now in this, this relationship of grace, almost like adult children to our father. What's interesting, just like we are in our earthly families, especially if you've got children of your own now, you look back on those laws and what do you see? If your parents were good, what you're going to see is that the rules they made reflected the priorities they valued, right? Very rarely do parents just make arbitrary laws. Kids might say they're arbitrary, and maybe they seem not all that important. Maybe their rules are like, leave me alone, I need some space, so go do whatever it is, that's our rule. Like, doesn't mean it's a good rule, but usually it reflects the things that they value. So I want to just, I just want to pose something to us today for the sake of knowing how and helping us to understand what do we do with old covenant law? Anybody ever wrestled through that a little bit? Like, we're free. Jesus, Paul came, you're not on the law, you're not on the law, you're not on the law. Jesus came, he set us free. He says, I did not come to abolish the law. I didn't destroy the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant law. I came to fulfill it, which means I did put a cap on it. I did complete it. Uh, the author of Hebrews calls it obsolete. Not that they, they completely get rid of it, but it's been wrapped up. It's been finished. That season of life is over. But now that I'm out of the house, what do I, what do, I do with the laws that I had when I was in the house? Now that I'm set for you and I as individuals living in, in, in the beauty and the freedom of, of relationship and heart with God, like how do we look at those laws? So I, I'm, I would like to propose that when we, when we engage with, with things that, we, that tend to be like, oh, that's just Old Testament stuff, um, that we would look for the values of God that are represented in the law right? Wouldn't that make sense? Because if, if, if God knows our heart and he's all about our heart and not just the actions, so well, that's important, but he's all about our heart, shouldn't we be all about his? And what I mean by that is, is no, if we're no longer driven by the commands of God, then it ought to be us as his children to say, I want to know what's in his heart. Because unlike your parents, God's laws were perfect always. Listen, I know your parents did stupid stuff because they're humans and humans do stupid things, right? Like I, I know that your parents weren't perfect all the time. Maybe they were perfect none of the time. I don't know how you grew up, but I can tell you this. Our heavenly father has never made a rule that was not perfect in every way. So when we look back on the Old Testament, we may not understand it, but can I tell you it was perfect, okay? So here's what we do. What, what, we, what we tend to do with this is like, I don't really know what to do with all this stuff. Like, we're, are we, is it, the Old Testament is still the Bible, but are we, we're not under it anymore. So here's my default line. If it feels like something I don't want to do, I just say, well, that's Old Testament. And if it seems like something I don't mind doing, then I say, well, that's the Bible. Anybody see a problem with that line of thinking? Okay, so I want to give us maybe a new framework, or, or maybe it's not new for you, maybe just, just a slightly adjusted framework so we can know how do we do this, all right? Let's take the Ten Commandments, for example. Ten Commandments. Um, 
You know, God values life way before the Ten Commandments were ever written, right? Okay? So because he values life, one of the ten is this, don't murder. I'm on board with that. Please don't murder me. I won't murder you, okay? We, we can get behind that one. Um, how about this one? God, value, God values, one of his priorities is that we value and appreciate the gifts of God that we've received. That's something that's, that's near and dear to his heart. So much so that he wrote two commands about that one. He said, don't steal and don't covet. Okay, I can get behind that too. That seems like a pretty good idea. Okay, one's physical, don't steal. One's covet, one's even a heart issue. He commands the heart. Like, don't, don't covet. Don't long for something that's not yours. Like, that's, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. How about this one? This one we don't, we're not really down with, so we, this is Old Testament, right? Um, he values that we find rest and refreshment for our souls through not working and by engaging in meaningful relationships with one another. Like that's a huge value of God. I don't know if you know that or not. That's a huge value to God is rest and refreshment. And so what does he say? He says, honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't work one day a week. Like that's in the Ten Commandments. Some of us are like, ah, it's kind of Old Testament stuff. Yeah, it's also one of the top ten. But anyway, um, <laughs> you see how we do that? Like, what do we like? What do we don't like? What suits my lifestyle? What doesn't suit my lifestyle? But what I can tell you is this, is every one of the Ten Commandments, every one of the things through the law, we're going to find something about the character and the value and the priorities of God in it. Um, he values family. Particularly, he even values parents and the parental authority that he has placed over us. So he says, honor your father and mother. Right? These are just some of the, in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is not the, I don't know how new you are to the church life in Old Testament. It's not the extent of the law. The law has all kinds of things to it. But when we come to these things, it's not how do I feel about it. It's how does God feel about it. And here's, here's the other part, is we can clearly understand that God values life because I value life. And what we tend to do is not just how I feel about it, but if I don't fully understand God's value in it, I dismiss it. Which is why the, the remember the Sabbath day seems to like be one of those eh ones, okay, that we can just kind of go either way on because it's eh. It, it's, it's not because God doesn't value it. It's because we don't see God's value in it. There's a big difference. I'm not talking about Sabbath, actually. You're, you're still trying to figure out what I'm talking about, aren't you? I'm setting you up. That's what I'm doing. All right. But I, I, I want to do this because this is critical to understand, not just the topic we're going to talk about today, but it is critical to understand what do we do with these Old Testament law things. So I hope we get it. What we're looking for is the values that are represented in the law. But sometimes, just like brushing your teeth, the value is good dental health, but the practice of brushing your teeth is going to continue beyond the time you're in your parents' household, Right? So just because, oh, I value good dental health. If you don't brush your teeth, you probably don't, right? So we got to be careful that we don't, oh, it's all about the value, and we forget the practice. Well, the practice is a pretty important part of it, right? We value health, so my kids should need to shower every day. At least every day they leave the house. <laughs> At least every day. Oh, we'll expand it. At least every day they have sports practice in some capacity, all right? Definitely then, right? So there's certain things, like, and that's a practice that because if they value their health, their physical health and wellness, they should do that every day, right? You can't just like, oh, yeah, I value being cleanliness, and I bathe before I go to church on Sunday. Yeah, that doesn't work, right? So let me talk about one that tends to make people feel a little bit squeamish, and that is money. You guys, let's talk about money. Anybody just really feeling like talking about money today? I feel like talking about money. 
Uh, now, here's the thing. Money makes us all, and I'm not even just going to talk about money. I'm going to talk about something very, very specific. And I've never spoken on this as, as specific as this, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll get to why. When preachers talk about money, people get awkward. Um, and I'm fully aware of that. And there's a couple different reasons why it happens. One is, and I'm fully aware of this. One is because uh, you have experienced firsthand someone in spiritual authority who's mishandled the finances that have been entrusted to them and it came back to hurt you or it led to a loss of trust. And, and I'm not here to make excuses, but as a pastor, who, someone who stands and answers to God as a community of pastors, let me just tell you, I am sorry if you've experienced that kind of hurt and mistrust because someone mishandled the authority that God has given them. I know that happens. And I am sorry on behalf of pastors everywhere for the hurt that that has caused you. There's no excuse for it. Um, the second reason why we tend to get squirmish about it is because uh, dirt sells. Um, and so as soon as one televangelist decades ago um, comes out with like, you know, they have this collection of $10,000 suits and $30,000 conference room table and a gold toilet in their office bathroom, um, you know, then all of a sudden I lose trust. As soon as someone's like, hey, put your hand on the screen and then empty your bank account into my uh, account. All you have to do is scan this QR code. Okay, listen, that's weird and that's unhealthy and that is not of God. Okay, so we're, just, we're not making excuses, we're not dancing around it. But listen, we just got to, I, I want to tread lightly here because I understand there's some hurt and there's some walls that tend to go up and some defensiveness that comes up in this. And let me just tell you, just because we've been hurt in any area, we could pick a topic, there's lots of sensitive topics. Just because we've been hurt doesn't eliminate truth from our lives. Okay, our goal, and, and this, we, we do this with a lot of things. We, I could start, I could do this with a lot of things, but like, there's certain things that because of our past experiences, that as soon as we hear it, as soon as somebody on stage in a church is going to begin to talk about money, my walls go up, I get defensive. And this is what happens when walls go up. It prevents you from growing and healing and finding freedom. It just always does. So if you're one that like when we talk about money, that your defenses go up, let me just tell you this. Take a big deep breath. And let those walls come down because here's the deal. Like truth should always win, right? And so I hope you trust me to handle God's word as delicately as possible because I want you to know the truth. And, and uh, a truth that I've lived and believed and walked out as long as I can remember. And, uh, but what happens if we keep those walls up for fear of letting anything else in, it also prevents truth from getting in. And then guess what? I become a prisoner in my own isolated, and there's part of my heart that will never experience freedom as long as my defenses and my walls come up. So you can say this for a lot of different topics uh, <laughs> that prick people just right. And so here, here's, here's what I, I want to be upfront. Listen, my goal today is not coercion, it's just clarity. Because here's what's happened. When all of a sudden the church got big and mega churches got a thing and all of a sudden preachers and sneakers becomes a handle on, on Instagram, right? Um, <laughs> Uh, and all of you guys are going to be searching it. Um, 
all of a sudden, we became a little squeamish on the topic. And then so what happened, and I say we, I mean preachers and pastors and churches, like swung so far the other way in an effort not to offend people and in an effort not to look like we were associated with the weirdness. And so I just, I, and I recognize that in me, all right? Usually when I talk about finances, it's, it's so general and so broad that it never really hit what I really feel like needs to be hit. So let me just tell you personally, from me to you as a church, I am sorry for not speaking on this issue more often. I've deprived the church of some clarity that needs to happen. And so I've never been about making people feel good on Sunday morning. Some of you know that well, okay? That's not my, never been my goal. Uh, my goal is clarity of the word. And so my, my hope, my prayer today, I don't want to coerce you, but I, I, want, I want to bring some clarity to a topic that I think has lacked clarity for a while because we, the collective church, have been afraid to look like that. Does that make sense? And so let me just, let me just do my best to explain it. So, um, so here's just, I don't know if disclaimers is, is the right word, uh, but just some things I feel like you should probably know. Uh, one is I'm not the treasurer. I have no idea uh, who at church tithes or gives anything. I don't know if you give a dollar a week or a thousand dollars a week, or you've never given a single dime to the church, or you give uh, 90% of what you make. I have no idea. Uh, my primary job is to pastor, and in order to do that well, uh, Gary, one of our elders, um, handles the, he's the treasurer, so I get brought in on reports and big picture and broad scope. I have no idea which one of you gives and who doesn't give, and I do that so that I can preach boldly what I feel like is in God's word without any feeling like awkwardness about it being pointed. So if it's pointed, it's not me. I don't even know what you do. Um, second one. I know you know this, but I'm just going to make sure we know. I don't get bonuses if new households start, start giving money. Like I, there are no bo- I don't get church bonuses. Pastors don't get bonuses. At least that's not one. Doesn't get bonuses for new people giving, okay? We don't have financial goals at the end, and if we hit them, then we all get raises, okay? It doesn't work that way, just so you know. Um, and here's another thing I think you should know. Is as we dive into this topic, this is, a, this is not something that I became passionate about when I was a pastor. In fact, I got squeamish about it when I was a pastor. Uh, it's something I've been practicing since I was a paper boy at 12 years old, delivering 21 papers to 21 households on my bike almost 30 years ago. This is something that I believed in, and it was all of a sudden when I became a pastor and I got paved, paid from the tithes that it all of a sudden got weird. And I'm sorry for allowing it to get weird. I want you to know the same thing that was instilled into me when I was 12 years old and when I first started getting a paycheck, because it's critical to our health and our freedom in our spiritual lives. Sound good? All right, my goal is clarity. Uh, what is tithing? Let's just start there. What is tithing? Um, I hear this statement. Oh, I, I, yeah, I, t- I tithe 5%. Or I, yeah, I tithe, I tithe 3%. Or I tithe, like, doesn't step on any toes. You give 5%. I'll talk about this in a little bit. Like percentage, uh, percentage giving is a great concept. It's just not tithing. Somebody says, I tithe 10%. You actually don't tithe 10 That's kind of, it's redundant. It's kind of like saying ATM machine. Anybody? ATM? Automated teller machine machine, right? It's, it's redundant. It's already in the name. Tithe, by definition, means 10%. So you, by definition, you can't tithe 2% or 5% or 8%. Like, it, like it's saying, like, I give 10%, but 2%. Like, it doesn't make any sense, okay? So when we use the word tithe, I say that not for, again, not compulsion, just clarity. Um, I say that just to know, like, as we're looking at the scripture and as we're looking at the word, like, when it says the word tithe, it means 
10%. So to say tithe 10% is redundant, you get that. Um, so, so what we see, this was commanded in the Old Testament law, but what we're going to see is that, and we're going to look at some scripture, that it preceded. This is a value, and here's the deal. When we look at the Old Testament, and we see a command, we want to know what was the value, what was the priority, what was the heart of God about giving that command. And anytime we can see that value in that priority before the law was given, and just for clarity's sake, the law is not just the whole Old Testament. The law is the law that was given from God to Moses, uh, and for which the Israel to live by. So if we see traces of these values and priorities before the law was ever given, that should be a signal that this isn't just something that we can dismiss if we dismiss the law, which we shouldn't anyway, okay? Um, and so we're going to look at these two different things, tithing and first fruits. I would argue uh, that the, the principle as it's applied to us today, is, they coincide and they kind of go together, but they were slightly different things. And so we're going to look at that a little bit. Um, again, I said that my goal is, is clarity, not coercion. So I just want to make sure you know where we're going. Um, one, I want to talk about what tithing is. Two, I want to talk about how we apply this Old Testament concept into our new covenant lives. And three, uh, just so you know, I'm going to let you know why we tithe and why, um, why I think it's a good idea for anyone who follows Jesus to do so. Um, that being said, if you feel like you're being called out, uh, there are few churches in America that have more than 25% of their um, weekly attendance tithing. It's something that I think because we value our money so highly, uh, it's something that is really hard for us to wrap our brains around. And uh, so I think it's an area that we can all grow in. And we're going we're to find, find some things that I, I just think, I think will be insightful for you. Um, so again, we're looking at this not from a law perspective, but like, what do we see underneath the law? Um, it's not just the rules that mom and dad made it while we're at home. It's the values that were underneath them. You know, um, this, this preacher right here, I'm not trying to get your money. I want you to hear that. I'm not trying to get your money. But I knew, know that God wants to get your heart. And like, here's, one, here's one statement. Like, I'm going to make this. I'll say, I probably wouldn't say it if Jesus hadn't said it, but he said it. So it's like, ugh. Uh, and I don't even like to own it. Are there any words that Jesus said? You're just like, I really hate that. Like, I just wish he hadn't ever said that. Like, I'll be honest, it's so much of what he says is like miserable. Like, love your enemies. That's the worst. Like, nobody likes to do that, right? So let's just embrace the fact that Jesus regularly says things that we don't want to do, okay? But this is what he says. And I want to I say that this isn't me, but he said it, so I'm not going to argue. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be also. And I want to be like, you know, like Peter when Jesus said, Peter, you're going to die on me three times. You're like, no, I promise I wouldn't, not me. Oh, yeah, okay, you know the story went. I want to be like that. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, where your heart is, not, not me. God, my heart's not tied to my treasure. He said it, not me. And if I'm honest, like I really care about where my money goes. My heart goes to what I have more often than I wish it did. We're just kind of wired that way. He said, where our, where our treasure is there, our heart is going to be also. If that in and of itself doesn't say, make us go, oh, I need to pay attention to what he says about my finances. I don't know what else should. All right, let's look at it. We're going to dive in. Um, ooh, one more thing. Before we get to the text, I want to ask one question. It's mean, I get it, but I just want to ask one question. If you are absolutely convinced, if I could convince you, if the word of God could convince you, if you are convinced that tithing, giving 10%, was God's best plan for your life, would you do it? 
I'm not, I'm not asking if the absence of tithing is sin. If you could be convinced of that, would you do it? Because I'm living from a place of do I sin or do I not sin? Like that's such a shallow, immature way to live your Christian life. I'm asking this. If you were convinced that tithing was God's best plan for your life, would you do it? My prayer is that you could fill in the, the word tithing with anything. And if there was anything that you felt like you were convinced was God's best plan for your life, that there would be nothing that would stop you from it. That's what it means to follow Jesus, right? All right, so let's dive in. Now that you're all excited about this, right? So like I said, before we even get to the law, in Genesis chapter 14, there's a story about Abraham. His name's Abram. God hasn't changed his name yet. In Genesis chapter 14, where we see Abram tithing, giving 10%, of his increase to this Melchizedek. And I'm not going to go into all the theology of that story, but we see this. And then you're like, is that just coincidence? He just gave 10%. That doesn't mean it was a tithe. But then in Hebrews, in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews points back to this and speaks of Abram giving a tithe to Melchizedek. This principle of giving that 10% tithe, again, redundancy, is... Uh, is established before Moses came along and God heard the law from Moses. So but now that he does give it to Moses, this is where we see the majority of it. Um, Leviticus chapter 27. I'm going to read a whole bunch of verses. Just so you know, I edited tons of this stuff, the references out. I just kind of included a whole bunch of text to give us a variety of angles to kind of learn and grasp what this was for them. Remember, just because it was there doesn't mean we're under there now, but we're going to start with looking and understanding what the command was so that we can know how we can apply it today. So he says this, this is how it works. Every tithe of the land, 10%, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. Notice he didn't say give it to the Lord. He said it already belongs to him, that 10%. It is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Not the person giving, the actual gift itself is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. This tithe is a holy offering. And it's not even as an offering as much as giving back to God what's already his because he says it is the Lord's. Here's another practice that they would do. If we, we're having trouble sometimes wrapping our heads around living on 90%, they were like, hey, I give the tithe, but what if I want to give more to God? I love that heart. Like, and so they would dedicate property to God and they'd dedicate, like they'd give animals and they'd give other grain and other, other produce, and, and, which is their livelihood. They'd give all these other offerings to God. But it says this, just, this is actually in Leviticus 27, just a little bit before that. In, in relation to making this dedication and giving these things to God, it says, no one, however, may dedicate the firstborn of an animal since the firstborn already belongs to the Lord. Now this is part of the first fruits part. It's not just one in 10, it's also the first. The first harvest of your crop it goes to God. The first uh, harvest of your produce, it goes to God. The firstborn of every animal, it goes to God. Oh yeah, and then on top of that, one in 10. This is this, this, this lifestyle of just perpetually giving of your income and, your, and of what you've, given, what you've been given and entrusted to, to God. And what he says is this, is you can't give something to God that already belongs to him. I find that interesting. You can't make a dedication of this, this, this firstborn animal to God because it's already his. You can't give to God what's already his. Anyway, it just, it just instills this idea that the tithe doesn't even belong to you and me. That 10% of that income, it's not even ours. Again, okay, I don't want to jump to current now. This is, it wasn't theirs in the Old Testament. All right, 
Numbers, to the Levites, the Levites were the priests. So uh, Israel was made up of 12 tribes. 11 of them were told that they needed to tithe. And the tithe of all those 11 tribes came to the Levites who were the priests. And they took care of the worship and and sacrifices and and made atonement to to God and and all this kind of stuff. Now, the Levites weren't given land, weren't given property like the other 11 tribes were. Their inheritance was to receive the tithe from the other 11 tribes. To the Levites, I've given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. But just to think that, just to make sure you know that the Levites weren't off the hook as well. Like, so you're like, okay, so the tithe is just to make sure that uh, the ministers, the clergy have enough to live on. It's not just that. There's something underneath that. There's something deeper than that. Because look at this. Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, again in, in Numbers 18, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given, for, given you for, from them for your inheritance, then you, the Levites, shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Okay? So the tithe is not just to make sure that those who are working in the church are, have their expenses paid. If that were the case, then the Levites would never have to tithe. You see, there was a principle that is even deeper than just the provision for those who are doing ministry full-time. There's this this thing that is even deeper than it because it's like the the Levites themselves, those who are serving in that capacity, they had a tithe too. So there's something there that that is is deeper than just simple provision. And yet provision is a big part of it. Deuteronomy 14 says this. We see a little more of why this is important. It says, at the end of Every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, again, the priest, those who are taking care of the spiritual things uh, full time, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner or the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, those who didn't have people to provide for them, who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands that you do. He's like, if you tithe... Not only are the, the, the priests, uh, the Levites, going to be sustained, but your tithe is going to help provide the, and meet the needs for the community of God in which you live. Like, that's a pretty cool way that God designed that to work, isn't it? And it so, then, so then we come to uh, Nehemiah. They, the, the people of Israel have, have come away. They, they've, they've, they've fallen away from doing the things that God has asked them to do, and they're not serving God anymore. Not, now they're trying to come back. They're seeing the law. They're trying to come back. Like, God, we want to commit ourselves to you. It's like that, that rebellious teenager, like, I'm doing my own thing. Then before, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, come on. What do I need to do? So here's where they come. They're like, hey, I want to be right with you again. It says, we obligate ourselves. I love that. We obligate ourselves. <laughs> Man, I want to do what is right. I want to do what honors you. I obligate myself to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. I want you to notice something. That phrase is going to be used over and over and over again. I think it's critical in this verse. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits, the first of everything that we get, to the house of the Lord, also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, and to bring the first, first of our dough and of our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil. You kind of get the idea, right? All of it. To the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithe from the, our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. I want you to notice something here. The tithe, as God prescribed it, is not, hey, you take 10% of your income and go feed the hungry. It's not, 
uh, you take 10% of your income and, and you go um, uh, help those who are trying to uh, do this good thing, right? It always went into the house of God. It went into their spiritual covering. They brought it to the Levites into the house of God to be able to distribute it to meet the needs that were there. Um, okay, now it's, now it's jump forward. Now we've got, I guess that's a little bit, um, yeah. In Proverbs, Solomon is saying this, and I love this. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Some of you are like, I'm not wealthy. I think what he means is just your finances, okay? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. It says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I'll be honest, I just want to get a nice, broad cross-section of this. I'm kind of a, of the mindset that I'm like, man, if God, if I feel like this is something God has told me to, I, like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not using it as an investment tactic, okay? Like, I'm not going to give 10% and expect that God is going to now give me a, a 50% increase, right? That, that, but I can't get away from the scripture that says, hey, don't worry, God is going to take care of you. And there's even scripture that says, hey, I'm going to give you more than you could, than you could even need. And there, there's just that promise there. There's just that principle in there that, you, that I can't shy away from. Okay. Now, if I was going to be the type of preacher who really wanted to make you feel it and get that arm twisted really good to make you feel com, com, like compelled to do something, this is the one verse I would use, and then I'd just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. And maybe you've heard that sermon before. But again, I just want to include everything that we, every aspect of what we see here. See, Israel had gotten away from this tithing thing. And God spoke to the people of Israel through Malachi. And this is what he says. This is, it's, it's convicting. He says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. What he's saying is this, is remember in Leviticus, where it said like that tithe, it is the Lord's. It's not like something you need to give to him. It is his. And what he's saying here is that if you, if, if the people of Israel, if they withheld the tithe, then you were in essence robbing God, stealing from him. Because if you're spending his money on your stuff, you were robbing him of it. But then don't worry, Malachi gets much nicer at the next thing. He says, like, this is what happens. It's kind of rough if you're, if you're not doing this. But it's like, if you do, there's blessing in it. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. That's a bold statement. This is God speaking. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Wow. I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vines in the fields shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. That promise is tied to this principle of tithing. And what I find interesting, it says he'll provide for you until, you until there is no more need. What I found in my life is when I trust God with my finances, is that, it's particularly in this area of tithing, if I'm tempted to like, hey, pull this out, no, no, is that sometimes he provides more income and sometimes he reduces my need. Amen. And sometimes it's just a matter of realizing until there is no more need means it's, just a, it's a change in my mindset of what I need and what I don't need. Because um, the truth is that if you choose to give away 10% of your income, you will be able to buy fewer things. That's how money works. 
That was a joke. You guys are too serious for jokes right now. Okay. That is how money works, right? And so I'm not asking, hey, why don't, you, why don't you try tithing and see if you can buy more things? You probably won't be able to. But obedience has a cost. Um, so that's what Malachi says. Now, now, again, I get it. That's all Old Testament stuff. How do you know what to do with that? Okay. Jesus never told us to. Not directly. But I want to look at one, one place. And it's way more often that we see this in, in the Old Testament than the New. But let's just be honest. When Jesus came, tithing for the religious people was not a big deal. They were doing it like crazy. He didn't need to teach a whole lot on it. Um, in fact, he, he calls to the, to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, Matthew 25, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus had a way with words, didn't he? He says, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. In, in essence, like, guys, you're like tithing. Like, you're like, you're like just a little, like every little piece of herbs you're tithing off of. You're, you're taking care of the detail. You're, you're tithing all of it. And you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. We love the first half of that verse. Because what it says is, Tithing doesn't matter. What really matters, let's forget tithing and just focus on justice, mercy, faithfulness. Praise God, amen, new covenant, right? But his next statement says this, these you ought to have done, justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the others. Jesus didn't say thou shalt tithe, but he affirmed the practice in his lifetime. He says, yeah, no, no, like it's not either or. Like your life should be about justice, mercy, and faithfulness, but, but continue in the obedience. Continue in this life of tithing. All right, like I said, I'm not trying to coerce, but I, I do want to give clarity. This is a huge topic throughout the Old Testament. I believe that we see traces of this before the law was ever given. I see Jesus affirm the practice in his lifetime. So let me ask this question. Are we going to be people, and here's the deal, are we going to be people who say, I want to know what's in the heart of God so that I can align my life around it, or are we going to say, I got to figure out the do's and don'ts? Because what's ironic is that when we try to figure out the do's and don'ts, and we say that we live under grace, we're applying a legalistic way to know if we're in God's grace. Does that, does that make sense? Jesus didn't say, I have to, therefore I'm not going to, is a legalistic way to approach God's grace. See, I would rather approach it from this perspective of like, man, what did we learn through the season of God's, of, of history, where God commanded things of his children? What can I learn and, and implement into my life? Because there were clearly some values of God here that are going to bring blessing and fruitfulness into my own life. Right? So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to close with this. Like, I just want to be clear. I, wanna, I, want, I, want, I don't want to say anything more than I need to say, but I, wanna, I want you guys to see maybe in a way that you've not seen it before. So I want to give, I want to close with these four thoughts, four reasons why I'm going to say we tithe. And what I mean by we, and I just want you to know how this, this is, like are your elders and all your pastors believe in this on a personal level, not just a group level. This is, this is a, a principle. Uh, talk to Gary. He loves to talk about how the silly things that he's tithed on in his life. He loves, I've never met anyone who loves giving more than Gary, okay? Uh, he's our treasurer. That's a weird combination. Usually treasurers are stingy, aren't they? Uh, 
But Gary loves giving money. In fact, when I first came to Crossroads 10 years ago and I saw the, the, the generosity that was being given, like someone comes, hey, do you got like 20 bucks? I, I just really need to help. Here, it seems like you need more like 100. Here you go. Like, wait, what? That's irresponsible. And I began to realize there's just some principles of giving in my own heart that I had, I had drawn legalistic lines around. And, and I, I believe there's people in this church body who've helped me see differently. Talk to, to Pastor Grady. Many of you have been around Grady for a while. You know he has a teaching that he loves to talk about on stewardship. His is way harder than my teaching right now. He'll tell you straightforward that not 10% belongs to God, that 100% belongs to God, that you own nothing and you're better off for it. So if you, if you don't like what I said, go talk to Grady after church. He'll make you feel better about what I said. That being said, I agree with him. We're just taking baby steps. Four reasons why I think that, that we tithe, and I'm going to say this, four reasons I believe that anyone who is striving to follow Christ, even under this New Testament of grace, ought to do it as well. One, because it aligns my finances with God's values. It aligns my finances with God's values. Yes, it was commanded for a season. It's no longer commanded anymore. Salvation, don't miss this. Salvation is through, by grace, through faith, period. You don't have to give a dime to go to heaven. You don't have to give a dime to be in right standing with God. But are you after salvation or sanctification? Are you after forgiveness or freedom? Friends, there is freedom in, 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 in not being attached to our finances. It's huge. It'll change your life. It aligns my finances with God's values. That's why we choose to tithe in places we don't have to tithe. So I, like I said, Beth and I, we've been doing this our whole lives. Um, the church budget, everything that comes in and that's marked for general or tithe or unmarked comes into a big pot and we give 10% of that. That's how we fund missions and home missions and, and benevolence projects and, and, and helps for people around here. We give 10% away that we make sure we don't spend in-house. Uh, we tithe on our, our, on our fund, on our, on our building campaign, not because we have to or because we're legalistic, because there's joy in practicing um, this, this principle. We're, we're applying it in places we don't have to apply it because there's richness in it. It aligns my finances with God's values. Number two, it positions me to walk in freedom. It positions me to walk in freedom. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says, Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, then you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, we want revelation before obedience. Jesus says, obedience precedes revelation. Obedience precedes, he says, hold to my teachings, do what I say, and in the doing, then you'll know the truth. That truth in action in your life will set you free from things you didn't know you were bound to. It positions me to walk in freedom. Number three, it teaches me dependence on God. Tithing teaches me dependence on God. It reminds me that I'm not in control. Every once in a while, I'm, I'm reminded about how much more things I could buy with another 10% every year. Every once in a while, I'm reminded about the experiences I could provide for my family with 10% more every year. And then I'm reminded very quickly that God can do more with my 90% than I can do with 100%. And I, I, 
I'm reminded again, God, I'm dependent on you. Like it's not about what I can provide for my family, it's about what you've provided for us. God, it's not about my paycheck. It is about knowing that you are sovereign and you are in control. And that if you see the lilies of the field and you dress them in splendor, will you not take care of my family? If you, if you feed the, the birds of the air, will you not also feed me and my family? It teaches me dependence on God. Number four, why we tithe. Why I think uh, any follower of Christ should as well. One, it aligns my finances with God's values. Two, it positions me to walk in freedom. Three, it teaches me dependence on God. And four, the practical side of it, it funds kingdom building and disciple making. Like I, I didn't do the, the, the study and the stats on it this, I should have this week, but like <laughs> there's ridiculous stats. If every single person in the U.S. Uh, practiced this, giving away 10% of their income, like we'd be able to like end world hunger in like a couple of years. It's ridiculous. The truth of the matter is, as much as it's not about the money and it's not about the projects it's going to and it's not about the things that are going on, when we walk in, in, in obedience in this area of our lives, like it funds the things. Listen, my job as a pastor is to have vision beyond our budget at any given time. <laughs> so as the budget increases, we're moving forward with more of what God is going to do and what God wants to do in our communities and in our lives. And we'll be able to better resource our, our, our children and provide more opportunities to serve our community. And uh, when I tithe, when you tithe, when we tithe, when we practice that, guess what? More ministry opportunities are available. And so here's the thing. So that's, that's tithing. I believe this is the first thing. I, I believe in the practical application in, in, under the new covenant today is that the first 10% of everything we get, not the, not the last 10%, not the surplus if it's there, the first check that you write after your paycheck is your tithe check. That's, that's how we operate. That's what I believe the healthiest model for this is. And, um, and you know what? If you, and, I, and I believe God still calls us to do above and beyond. Hey, what if every single person, every household at Crossroads Church tithed and then also supported one of our home missions or foreign missions uh, projects as well. Imagine, imagine uh, the type of ministry that would just poof, flow from here. It'd be incredible. Um, but there's an order of things. That first part belongs to God. And I want you to know as well, and, and some might have a different perspective, might argue, and that's fine. I just, I just, I just want to stick this closely to the model that we see. And that is this, is that I believe that the tithe is not ours to designate. As soon as we designate our tithe, first of all, what it does is it doesn't teach me to, <laughs> dependence on God. We love to give to projects. We love to give to missionaries. We love to so support that, the, the Guatemalan pastors. We love to do projects because we can see stuff. There's a part of it that I believe God wants to just like, no, here's the 10%. And here I'm bringing it to the house of the Lord. I'm bringing it to my spiritual covering, which is typically your local church. Listen, if you're a guest here today, let me just tell you, first of all, this is weird. We don't do this very often. Second, uh, if you're a guest, but you have a home church elsewhere, hold on to your money and give your tithe to them because that's where it goes. It goes to your storehouse, not where you show up on Sunday morning, okay? It goes to your, your spiritual covering. Um, but I believe God has called us to one tithe. It's his to start with, and, and that is not ours to designate. We, get, we, can't, we can't give to God what's already his, okay? We can't give to somebody else what's already his, but that God has called us to even go above and beyond that. Um, like this is a tool of your spiritual formation. I, I strongly believe that. 
And God is constantly shaping me and molding me and stretching me into new areas of faith in, as, it comes to, as it pertains to, to our finances. <clears throat> and listen, like I said, my, my primary job is not treasurer, it is pastor. So I'm more com- concerned about your heart than your bank account. I'm more concerned about your heart than the church's bank account. We're not in trouble. This wasn't like, Gary didn't say like, hey, we need a big boost this week, otherwise we're uh, turning the lights out. Um, I care about your heart. And I believe, I don't know, like what Jesus said might actually be true, that where my treasure is, then my heart will be. And I, I, just, I just challenge you, you don't even have to talk to me about this or whatever, you just, you just work through this in yourself. If all of a sudden all these walls start popping up and all these defenses start popping up, just, just start asking God this question, like, God, where's my treasure? And where is it saying my heart is? I want freedom in your finances. And I'm not saying you start tithing all of a sudden, like you'll be out of debt in, in 12 days. And uh, all of a sudden your boss is gonna give you a raise. Like, I, I don't know, probably not. But like, I believe in it this much. Hey, you haven't tithed before? Gary doesn't know how to say this. How about this? You tithe for three months, money back guarantee. I'll give you every dime back. We'll give you every single thing back. I believe in it that much. Just try it. God says, test me in this. I suppose we can say the same thing. Test, test it. You tithe, first 10% of everything that comes in for the next three months. If anything, if you get to the end of the month and you don't have the money you need, you come find us, we'll give you every single dime back. Like that's how much I'm like, it's not about the church finances. But I believe if we can learn to see the value of God's principles behind the law, not obeying out of compulsion, but out of love for God. And he wants to set some things free in you. And I think this is a big ticket. All right, I've already gone too long, let's pray. God, I pray that you'd speak truth to us today. God, I know there's a lot of like awkwardness that comes up in, in, in all of this and, and, and trying to process it all. Lord, I just, I just ask that there would be just the spirit of peace in your church and in, in us individuals. There's no need for threat. But God, we just wanna, we just wanna walk, not even just in obedience to your commands, but God, we wanna walk, walk in, 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 in alignment with your heart. So God, is this one of those brush your teeth principles for us that it was commanded and it's valued and now I should probably just keep on doing it because it's good for me? God, then, then here we are. But Lord, I pray that you would do what you need to do in, in each of us, in each of our hearts, in each of our lives. God, that you'd bring clarity in places that, that, that there isn't clarity. Even for those of us who are still struggling, maybe on the fence, like not really sure about this or, or, or if we can trust in, in, in that kind of capacity. Lord, for those who've been, been hurt or burned maybe by some of this, Lord, would you, just, would you just minister to hearts today? God, because you see our hearts. God, may we see yours. God, we love you. And we look forward to the freedom that is available as we yield all things to you. God, it's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.